This is Mahangel. This is Manitobaville. This is wild. This is wild today. It's a wild show today on the Manitobaville podcast. We're talking to Lisa over at the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. And many people in Manitoba have wildlife all around them. Not the real wildlife that used to be here, but the, uh, you know, the smaller kind, the more gentle natured type of wildlife. And, um, yeah, they tend to get injured. They do. We as humans tend to, uh, run roughshod over the world as usual, over, over the, the roads and building glass buildings. And, you know, we're building glass houses and people say you shouldn't, you shouldn't hurt wildlife if you live in a glass office tower. And uh, if you don't donate to the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, you got a big issue going on in your life. Your moral compass is a little off and your karmic center may be wobbly. <laughs> so get together, get it together. Um, yeah, we we have to take better care of our wildlife, right? Because it has uh, just as much right to be here. Of course, it doesn't buy our oil that we drag out of the ground or it doesn't... Um, take part in our economy, doesn't buy cars, doesn't buy real estate. Um, you know, but you know what? Nature doesn't. And, uh, we're, we're the odd ones out here, I think with all this stuff and it's, and it's pretty, pretty crazy. So, um, you know, these animals get injured and they have very little, uh, option when we injure them. We have to uh, find some way of, of helping them. And Lisa and the crowd over at Wildlife Rehabilitation Center have done that for us. And they are taking care of these animals. They will have a volunteer collect the animal. They will uh, see how it can be helped. And they will try and help these animals and release them back into the wild. So, yeah, um this interview touches on pretty much every aspect of what that entails from, uh, us, the enjoyers of wildlife and our perspectives on, on when they get hurt, how we should approach that. So sometimes we have the, we think we're doing the right thing, but we aren't. And, um, so anyway, I'll let Lisa explain that because she is way better talking about this than I am. I'm really good at asking the questions because I genuinely didn't know some of this stuff and I want to know. So passing that all along as we, as we learn on the podcast, we pass it along to you, the listener. And of course you can follow us along by searching Manitobaville on your podcatchers, on your social medias, type it into your web browser, followed by .ca and you can get to our website and that's where we are doing all of this activity. Okay, and so this is a great interview. So stick around for this one because when you see wildlife that is injured, after after this, you're going to know what to do and you're going to feel a lot better about it. And um, make some donations. You're causing damage, help fix it. Not a big deal at all, okay? So uh, if you want to advertise, do so because... This is what happens just before interviews, and it could be you. Prairie 
Wildlife Rehabilitation Center is a charity, and our goal is to rehabilitate injured and orphaned wildlife found throughout Manitoba with the end goal of releasing them back into the wild. And another part of our organization is to educate the public on human interactions, what to do when you find injured animals, and how we can sort of cohabitate together. Okay. So is it one one facility? So animals from all over the province come to one place to, to get better? Well, actually, fortunately in Manitoba, there are... Uh, about three different uh, three different organizations but yes we do we are one of the organizations where we take in all species of birds and then small to medium-sized mammals as well as reptiles and amphibians and so they're brought to our center and from there we you know will assess them and figure out is it something that was accidentally picked up and and is healthy and can be released right away or is it something that needs to stay in rehab and uh, go through the rehabilitation process. Okay. Where are you located? We actually have um, a temporary site right now that's just outside the town of St. Adolphe, but we've actually uh, purchased a piece of property uh, just this past December, and that's just north, uh, a bit north of the city, just uh, north of East Selkirk. Okay. So we're quite excited. It's a, a large piece of property, about 43 acres, and it has trees and it has um, open spaces. And there's an actual pond right across the street from us that we will, you know, be able to utilize when releasing some of our ducks and geese in the summertime. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely we're excited to start uh, building on this new property. That's neat. Yeah, it must be exciting. Have you yes, have yeah. you been at it for a while trying to get a new place or a permanent place? We have. Yeah, so we've actually been working on it since we started the organization back in 2007. Um, during that time, we had, you know, potential sites and then unfortunately things would fall through. And so this last uh, sort of last year, we finally had something that came up that was a bit more um you know what we wanted what we're looking for it was in our price range and so it just finally worked out to our advantage that we could get this property so um yeah we've been we've been looking for it for for many many years now so it's uh it's exciting for us to have a property that we can call our own um our current site is in the flood area so Mm, every spring we have to worry about how much water is going to come from the states even um, because it's there is a uh, creek nearby as well as the Red River is not too far from it. So it, it can be quite stressful every spring not knowing if we can get to this site and start working out of it or if we have to wait till how it melts and how the flood happens, um, you know, whether anything will get damaged from it. So I guess building an arc every year kind of takes a chunk out of your budget too. Fortunately, <laughs> we don't have to use too much money, but it just 
stalls things. It just, yeah. you know, it prevents us from, from really starting up and, and being able to get things ready for our, our really busy spring and summer. So everything mm-hmm. just gets stalled. We have to clean everything down because it's dusty and dirty from the winter. Mm-hmm. We have to repair things that have, you know, maybe been damaged from the snow load. And so it, mm-hmm. you know, just, it prevents us from, from being ready. And we, we have to do things when we're then in the, in the, the busy season. So that makes it even more exhausting and tiring. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what kind how do animals come to you? How do you, what, what is your, do you have priorities or do you have, um, mandates or, um, is there a certain, uh, uh, requirements where people can, can call you up or, uh, or you'll consider taking something in? For sure. So basically, a majority of our animals do come from the city of Winnipeg. Um, So if people were not aware of us, if they contact any of the vet clinics, they would be referred to our organization. If they contacted even Okamic Marsh or Fort White, um, and then even conservation officers will have our numbers. So there's many different ways if they have never heard about us or if they tried Googling and they didn't um, get our name or number, um, if they contacted a few of the other uh, businesses, they will usually get directed to us or even 311 um, would direct us, you know, direct our phone number. So we take in, again, you know, all all species of birds. So we don't um, discriminate from any particular bird, mm-hmm. um, whether we're getting a small little sparrow or a large bald eagle. Um, we want we want to help the animal, whatever it is. Um, but some people may think that we may, you know, prioritize or, or um, you know, help certain animals more than others. But mm-hmm. we have to look at what the species is, what the injury is and whether it is something our veterinarian can actually uh, repair. Sometimes smaller animals would be even harder to repair because their bones are much smaller Mm -hmm. compared to working with a large eagle where the bone is, you know, closer to our dog or cat size. Mm -hmm. So that would be, you know, an easier, you know, not easier, but, you know, potentially able to repair that. So, you know, definitely the size of the animal will be a deciding factor. We have to look at, you know, what is the injuries and how does it survive in the wild? And can we return it to the wild once, you know, that injury has healed? So sometimes, depending on how the animal adapts or or hunts in the wild, we can't release a one-legged owl. You know, they need both feet to capture their prey um you know we can't release um a a rabbit with one eye missing because it is a prey species that needs to be able to see everything around them in order to run away from any predators Mm -hmm. so everything you know can play something different or even we can release a one-eyed owl because of how they're a hunter and how they hunt they have binocular vision, but they also use their hearing in order to capture their prey. So there's many different adaptations that can help them, but also can be a reason why they can't go back in the wild. Right. Uh, do you, um, so if an, an if somebody calls in and, and you take in an animal and you assess it, 
um, under certain certain circumstances, I guess the animal um, can't be repaired or rehabilitated. What do you what do you mm-hmm. do with it at that point? Right. So we have um, permits in order for us to rehabilitate animals. So in our permits, if it is deemed that the animal is not able to be returned to the wild, it couldn't survive on its own, we do have to put them to sleep. Mm. Um, There is only very rare circumstances. So if the animal is considered a threatened or endangered species, there may be a potential long-term permitted facility that might take it. But those are very rare that can happen. Um, Most of the time, you know, we would be full if we kept all the Mm non-releasable animals in our care. And so we wouldn't be able to help all the new animals that you know, get injured every year Mm -hmm. um, to then support them and and send them back on their way. So it is unfortunately the sad part of of wildlife rehab is that we have to think about what is in the best interest of that animal. Um, Is it, you know, would it be comfortable staying in captivity? And some of them are not. Some of them have such high stress that being contained in a you know enclosure four walls they will harm themselves trying to escape out of it right so you know that it's it's unfortunately and people don't want to hear that and Mm -hmm. and you know these are not our pets you know these are not animals that have grown up with humans so we have to consider you know how our how's their their behavior how are they doing and and many of them just can't handle the long-term effects of being in captivity mm-hmm. and so that is one of the the sad you know decisions that we make but it's made on behalf of the animal and not for our personal feelings and and emotions yeah and it's better to to send them your way and have you make that decision too because then it's uh, uh first of all the person might not know uh if you should Correct. Yeah. put it out of his misery as we would say or or try yeah. and save it, um, and then that way you can you can also uh, create a, a humane response to it. Exactly, yeah. and that's you know, and people may look at it and not know what their injury is, mm-hmm. and then we will get this animal in and go, oh my goodness, they mm-hmm. didn't see this big wound that's hiding underneath the feathers. Mm-hmm. So even though you know it may be eating in their cage, this animal may have a severe infection yeah. that will eventually take it over yeah. but they won't understand that we could have stopped that suffering and and that pain if it came in and you know we found it and knew that no we have to put it down because this is quite severe and and you know this animal is is under a lot of pain um so yeah it is better for it to come to us so we can assess it if it's something that we can repair and release that is our top priority so that's what we want to do is get it back out in the wild back where it needs to be to you know repopulate to be food for other animals to you know be something that we can enjoy you know coming to our bird feeders but you know it's we need to come in so we can see what's going on and hopefully you know make the best decision for the animal right Hey, where did these, where did they tend to come from? How do animals get injured? What's the, what are the, like the three biggest causes of animal injuries? 
Yeah. So unfortunately, most of the animals coming through our door have been injured directly or indirectly by humans. Hmm. So the most, um, you know, the, the number one sort of injury, we, we consider it as a trauma. If we can figure it out, we can, but sometimes we can't figure it out. But hitting windows and getting, you know, colliding with vehicles would be a very common um, injury that we see through our doors. The second one is animals that are caught by cats. Uh Um, Those cause uh, quite severe injuries and cats have very dirty mouths and dirty claws. So those Hmm. injuries create very infected wounds um, and they never, the cat never kills the animal. They actually just play with it and, and cause more, more injury. Yeah. And then the last one, um, just thing we, we call the ones that come in in the summertime, especially would be unnecessary orphans. So these are animals where people may not have understand the natural behavior of animals. Mm-hmm. And so say, for example, baby rabbits are one, a common one that we will see in during the spring and summer months where people will discover a rabbit's nest and assume that they're orphaned because they've sat and watched for five minutes and they don't see a mama rabbit tending to her babies. Right, right. And so if, if people are not aware of the natural behavior of rabbits, mama rabbit only feeds her babies twice a day, once very early in the morning and once very late at night. And mm-hmm. from there, she does not spend any time with her babies. She doesn't sit there and, and look after them and groom them, only when she comes and feeds and then she's off again. So she can feed her litter of 10 baby rabbits in less than five minutes. So really, she can come in, feed, and you may never notice her looking after these young little babies. And then she's off. Because she's such a large animal, she would attract the predators to her nest. And those babies are very vulnerable and would be easy pickings for dogs, cats, and crows, and whatever else might, you know, Mm -hmm. want to hunt them. Wow. So that there's kind of a disconnect then too, like people back in the day before they became full on TV, internet, city dwellers, they yeah. probably knew a lot of this stuff and knew the habits of animals and probably lived a little more harmoniously. It might be, but again, I, you know, I, I don't want to say how old I am, but back in the day, my parents didn't know as much about wildlife. And I, when we were growing up, if a bird hit our window, um, mm-hmm. my parents said well we need to feed the bird milk and bread and that was a common thing that was fed to them and literal you know back then we didn't have google that we could Mm -hmm. search it up and and find out what we should be doing or what would be a natural food item you know it was very common for them to think well everything you know babies drink milk so that's you know, what mm-hmm. we should be giving a baby bird and bread. And both of those things are, are quite toxic to, you know, baby animals in general. And, you know, we, we never knew any different. But back then we didn't know, well, who would you call? Where would these mm-hmm. animals go? And so many of them may have just died because of, you know, people trying to care for them. Yeah. Or it was the 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 statement that I hate so dearly is let nature take its course. Yeah. And 
I, I just don't like that statement because if they're being injured by humans, then we need to fix what we have done as humans and, you know, correct that damage. If it's being hunted by a predator, of course, let nature take its course because that predator is needing that animal to survive and it's going to catch it and, and finish it off. Not like our cats where they like to play and, mm -hmm. and use it as a toy. You know, a natural predator is not out just wasting energy flying after or hunting after an animal. It's actually needing that food source to survive the next couple of days. Does MPI give you money? <laughs> Actually, we don't. Um, we don't receive um, any substantial funding from the government. Um, we are fortunate that they will give us a bit of funding to hire summer students, mm -hmm. um, which, again, is amazing and, you know, allows us to have 14-hour shifts um, to look after these animals during the, the summer months. But otherwise... It's public donations that help us purchase, you know, um, the food supplies, uh, paying for medical uh, costs. Um, and then we do try to do fundraisers to replenish or help pay for some of the things that people will not think is exciting to sponsor or, um, you know, our water bill, um, our electrical bills, our, um, you know, there might be, you know, cleaners and garbage bags that may not be as exciting, mm -hmm. um, you know, that doesn't directly help the animals, but it, you know, directly helps keep things neat and tidy and, and disease down. So, you know, that's where fundraisers help us maintain and, and purchase the things that are either, unex you know, are, are not accessible to the public, you know, certain medical supplies that we need to um, have on hand for treating um, is a little bit more, you know, more difficult to purchase. So yeah. we, we purchase those. But um, yeah, it's the public donations that help keep us afloat and, um, you know, help us, you know, maintain where the the grants and the government, um, you know, are just giving for, for a couple for salaries and that's it. So hmm. our annual expenses you know it can range from year to year but it's about you know eighty thousand dollars that we have to try to find funding for and and you know support ourselves in looking after these animals well it just seems to me they should put a dollar on every license and ten dollars on every vehicle and they could probably fund you quite well yeah and, and you know because <laughs> they're causing that... the problem right so it just seems yeah, weird it's... that yeah you're trying to correct something that somebody else is causing and they just don't care for sure it's like, whatever. for sure and, yeah. yeah and again it you know it's it we don't charge uh the public who finds the animal yeah, um right. we always say you know if they could donate that would be wonderful but we don't charge them for finding this poor injured mm -hmm. robin and saying well we won't take it unless you give us twenty dollars yeah yeah um you know we are like no no you know this is not your responsibility to pay for, you know, we want to get it in so we can make the decisions on its behalf. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's an expensive um, process and expensive mm -hmm. um, thing to look after, but yeah, it's, it's, we have to be creative in, in trying to get that funding to 
help support us every year. What is your budget, like yearly budget average? Uh, it, it can be between um, sixty to eighty thousand uh, dollars a year. So it all varies depending on what animals come in. So mm-hmm. we, it's hard for us to say yes, this is our our you know, annual amount because it can fluctuate. If we all of a right. sudden receive 10 coyotes one year, well, our food bill is astronomical mm-hmm. um, because we have to get a lot more food to feed a whole bunch of coyotes or foxes compared to this year we had, you know, or last year we had lots of rabbits. Well, their, their expenses are a little bit less because, you know, we're, we're trying to collect weeds from the, from the environment so mm. that, that they're, we're not spending as much on, on herbs and different lettuces and things like that. Um, so it, it just depends on what comes in and how many of that particular species um, so that we can try to, you know, reduce our cost and, and, you know, be able to support and, and take care of whatever comes in our door. Right. And of course we found you because uh, we had a little, a little rabbit issue. Um, yeah. For years, and we don't know if it's the same rabbit. Obviously, I don't know what the lifespan is for the wild rabbits in the city, but um, we've had a rabbit in our yard, uh, summer and winter, for quite a long time. And we built a new fence, so the north side is, I think, a nice windbreak. So he spends a lot of time just hunkered down out of the wind. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. But anyways, yeah, he he showed up the other day with uh, the something wrong with his leg or his, his pelvis. We didn't know what it was, and he, of course, we, you can't just pick him up and look. But um, yeah, so we called, we found you guys and a couple of volunteers, fabulous volunteers, showed up, and yeah. um, in no time he was he was taken off. and And I, I understand, like in that case, he was taken to a veterinary uh, clinic to be looked at. So. Uh, anyway, that's how we we came into it, and um, I don't know if we're really overly attached to our wildlife or not, but we, we'd named them. <laughs> we'd called them Hassan yeah. Hassan P. Pfeffer um, oh. <laughs> after the rabbit stew, <laughs> of course, yeah. or hare stew, yeah. uh, which is misnaming because it's uh, Hassan is hare, but he's a little rabbit. So, uh, but we thought that was funny, and we, you know, it came a, an evening thing. We'd look out the back and see if Hassan came by, or you know, and. Um, and he had a mate this uh, last uh, winter. She came by and they did a little courting. The little, she was hopping and he was darting underneath her and they were doing all the whole courting dance and everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so we named her Helga, of course, just to keep on the Germanic theme. But um, yeah. anyway, so, so yeah, I guess um, it, was, it was nice to find that you guys are around because it took the pressure off making those decisions of, what to do or who to call or how to, how to deal with the situation. And, um, For sure. yeah. And even, so we have, a we have a couple of drop-off locations in Winnipeg. And so this just allows for a faster, um, right. examination and assessment of the animal as, you know, to have a couple of places within Winnipeg that these animals can be dropped off at. Okay. Um, otherwise our rural site it has, you know, yeah. it depends on the time of year we may or may not be at the site depending on, mm. you know, if we have certain animals or we may just quickly go there and feed and then we're off to another, you know, rescue. Um, so this way, having these drop-offs in the city are, you know, amazing to to be able to handle this, um, you know. Whereabouts are they? Sort of a service. 
Um, so we have two. So the one that is um, used quite often and, and most frequently is the Pemina Veterinary Hospital, also known as the Winnipeg Emergency Clinic. Okay. And so it's open 24 hours. Oh, good. And that's yeah. at 400 Pemina. And so this can just allow for if someone finds an animal at 2 o'clock in the morning, um, there is a place that they can take it and they will, you know, assess it and set it up for us so that the next morning they'll give us a call and then we can head out there right away to collect anyone who's been dropped off in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can start, you know, looking after and assessing them. So that's the first one. The second one, we do have a, um, bird specialty store. Um, they have shorter hours because it's a business. So they're only open from 10 till six. And that's on the east side of town called the Wild Birds Unlimited store. And um, so, yeah, and they're not open on Sundays. So they, they right. do have sort of limited hours and uh, days. So we just sort of play it by ear. And if it's possible to get it to the 24-hour drop-off, that makes it a bit easier for us to pick up as well so that we can pick up after hours mm-hmm. and you know, we don't have to worry about not making it by the time they close. But we try to give this little option of uh, drop-offs just so that it kind of, um, we kind of cover all of the city if possible. Mm-hmm. And then we do have volunteer homes that if, if it is in that area, um, we might get them to drop off at a volunteer home. But every, you know, every animal, every situation is a little bit different. And we sort of um, figure out from what's going on, what we can do and how we can help that animal. Neat. So with veterinaries, mm-hmm. um, so what is the deal with that? They help you, they do some pro bono work for you? Well, with uh, the um, the Pemina vet, um, their techs and their vets will do quick assessments of the animals. So they have in the past, you know, if the animal needs an x-ray, it doesn't happen too often. Um, they do quick assessments that if they see that the animal is dying or is in an extreme amount of pain um, or is suffering, they may put them to sleep right away so that this mm-hmm. animal does not suffer any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, if it requires um, a pain med, they may give some pain meds um, just sort of to uh, wait till we can come and assess the animal. Um, but they're just setting it up, giving it some warmth. Um, sometimes it just needs that time to relax. We do get in animals that are poisoned. They may uh, start the treatment for poisoning if if they can see and, and uh, spot that right away. But typically they're doing this, you know, completely pro bono and you know completely out of their their hearts and their their compassion for animals um we do have another veterinary clinic that we do take animals for more invasive um for surgeries and for um medical assessments and x-rays and there they give us a, a wonderful discount and that's the white ridge um, animal hospital in uh, just off of uh, Skirfield and they you know our our vet there has you know many many years of experience I've been working with him for over 30 plus years and so he will do those um, you know other treatments that uh, you know will require surgery or x-rays or you know more diagnostic testing um, that we need. Uh, Okay that makes sense because yeah your budget would be a lot bigger (laughs) if if for sure for sure yeah yeah and you know we 
we don't have that much money um, to to spend on everything. So what we do as wildlife rehabbers is some of the patients we have come in, we do first aid. So we can, if the animal's in shock, we will know how to sort of help them de-stress, um, start them on fluids. And sometimes that is amazing and and even heat and warmth can bring an animal around that we don't need to drive across town for them to start that same process and and the driving can be even more stress Mm -hmm. so we do assess these animals first aid um what we can do what we know we can handle and then what some other animals need more um, expert uh, experience and, and uh, treatment that we then take those ones to the vet for, you know, those additional, you know, tests that we cannot do. So, you know, some of the babies that come through our doors don't have any injuries, so we don't need to have those ones assessed when we know that they were, you know, kidnapped or they're just um, struggling with dehydration we can deal with those simple um, steps to hydrate them and warm them up and um, sort of give them that care. And then from there, we, if we notice anything different or notice that there's a problem, then we um, get the experience of our vet to, to do a little bit more digging and, and figuring out what's going on. So how did you guys get into this? Like, how did you like learn this and, and pick up the skills and knowledge that you need to do this yeah. kind of work? So I found out about uh, the term wildlife rehabilitation um, back when I was just finishing high school. And so I got some experience volunteering and even working in, in the wildlife rehabilitation field. And then you can go to conferences that are specifically on wildlife rehabilitation. Um, They don't typically happen throughout Canada. They're mostly in the United States. So you fly out to where it is that year, um, particular year, what's going on. And so there's many different uh, workshops and lectures about wildlife rehabilitation that you can gain way more experience and knowledge. And then there's also... A courses. Um, I've taken the IWRC uh, course, the basic course, and now I actually teach it for mm. Canada. And so this kind of gives a really good understanding of the basics of wildlife rehabilitation and what what the first steps of first aid is that we can help these animals. And so we teach this course to beginners or even to those who may have, ex, you know, more experience, but it's a little bit different dealing with dogs and cats than it is with wildlife so Mm. we have to put that different spin on how to protect yourself how to you know understand what these animals are are under the stress that they're under that they perceive us as predators and that um you know how to you know set them up how to get them to eat on their own when it's a little bit different than your domestic animals so it's a definitely different understanding and concept of dealing with wildlife than it is dealing with domestic animals. Right. Whole different field. Well, that's neat that, uh, yeah. So this, this is a, I guess an old field then, like it's been going on for a long time. Canada's actually much younger at it. So we haven't been doing it throughout Canada as long as the United States has. The United States has some fairly old um, wildlife rehabilitation centers. Some of them 
are connected to the universities. Some of them are with veterinary clinics. And so there are some that have been doing it for way more years um, than we have been doing in or legally in Canada sort of thing. Hmm. And myself, I've been doing it for close to 30 years now. So I find it, you know, extremely interesting. And, um, you know, it's always something different and unique and really having to use your, your common sense and your knowledge in how to help this animal or what do I think caused this injury and how do we want to help it to get back out into the wild. So it's always very, you know, changing and very unique, but it can be extremely exhausting and it can be um, unrewarding at times, especially when you work hard on an animal and, and it unfortunately passes away just because their body can only handle so much. Mm-hmm. And so it can be, you know, the sad part of, of wildlife rehabilitation. So, you know, it's not for everyone to work in, um, because we do see a lot of animals that don't make it out of our doors. Um, and, you know, we work really hard and have to stay up for, you know, all night to, to feed them. And then they still, you know, unfortunately just fail and, mm. and un, you know, don't make it. Yeah. When they do make it, well, where do they go after they're rehabilitated? Or how long does so, it often take to rehabilitate different types of animals? Yeah, it can be, it can be very, um, the, the days can vary. So in the springtime, we will see a lot of window collisions. So these animals colliding with windows could um, recover quickly with the finder. Um, we usually recommend putting this bird in a cardboard box with um, paper towel at the bottom and some air holes and letting it recover in a box quiet for two hours Hmm. once the two hours are up go back outside open up the box and see if it flies or you can even attempt to see if it can fly in your bathroom Uh, make sure the toilet seat is closed because they always (laughs) find the water and if it flies then it can be released in your yard where you found it if it doesn't fly away those ones need to come in Sometimes they just require a day or two days in rehab. And once they sort of work off that pretty massive headache that they may have, a concussion even, um, then we release them back out uh, to where they came from. If they're migrating through, it may just even be a a quick out our door um, just to let them go back on their migration uh, path. Some will stay longer depending if they have a broken wing um, or a more severe head injury. They could be in care for months even. So some may stay for two, three, four months. Um, And then we get baby animals in and some of these baby animals need to stay at least a couple of months depending on their age and where they are in their developmental growth. So if they come in just day old, some may stay for 14 weeks and if they come in a little bit older then they may not need to stay that that length of time um but everything varies and then we may get animals at the uh fall that might be at the beginning of their migration where they're heading back south and if they miss that migration well then we automatically have to keep them all winter long until we we have them coming back to Winnipeg or back to Manitoba and then we can release when their migration is 
is coming back into our province. So, okay. um, and they know that. Very, eh? That's wild yeah, that, they, yeah. that they know that. Well, and if they miss their migration, we can't release them when they're supposed to be out of Manitoba in September. Yeah. We can't decide to release them in October. All of their friends have left the province. Or yeah. It's too cold by then. And you have to even take into account there may be even snowstorms happening yeah. in October down south that mm-hmm. we don't want them to be migrating through and, and end up you know, passing away because we decided to release them uh, too late. Yeah, it's so much to think about, eh? Yeah. The normal yeah. person wouldn't wouldn't even fathom to think about. Yeah, yeah. So you have to think about, you know, if, is it hunting season? Do they are they going to be heading right through hunting season in in certain states in the United States? That mm-hmm. you know, so you just have to keep all those different things in the back of your mind. Um, what's happening? What's going on? Even when we're releasing, we want to give them at least three to four days of beautiful weather so that they can you know reacclimatize themselves and re um, you know redirect themselves in in their territory and know where they're going to be going than to release them in a thunderstorm where they're going to have to shelter it out for a couple of days and in and be unfamiliar with that with that location so all that you know plays a an important part in when do we release them when is what is a good location um what else can we do to make the transition from being in in captive care to being released back out in the wild. Interesting, so yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just like yeah, it fills your head up with. No wonder you take years and years in courses and and learning and and then trying to remember yeah. all that. I guess you, you you've referenced things, I'm sure, and you know. We do, yeah, yeah and and you'll get you know we get so many. We see a lot of common species, so mm-hmm. the it's the same scenario every year so we already know when we start to see the first woodpecker through that we're like okay the next two weeks we're going to start seeing woodpeckers and we'll see about 20 woodpeckers come in in two weeks and then we're like hey the next season we'll season we'll (laughs) see um we'll see the ducks coming in and we're going to get collision with windows for, you know, the first, Mm -hmm. the next two weeks of May and we'll start to see the baby ducks or the baby geese. And, and then we'll see uh, the baby birds or when the rabbits, baby rabbits are born. So there's an actual season to each one that we, when we start to see the first baby, we're like, okay, the baby season has now started or um, migration has now Mm. happened. Now we're seeing them come into Manitoba. So every, every animal comes in with their specific time and season. And so we sort of get used to that and know, okay, this is the, the baby squirrel season. So we're going to get all ready for baby squirrels to come in. So have you ever seen a big donation from a window manufacturer or an architect? No, we have not. <laughs> okay, we this, have not seen a, a my, large one. My list is up to three. <laughs> MPI, architects, and window manufacturers. Oh, man. And, yeah. And even hydro, there's, you know, we get collision with, with power lines that can do quite a bit of damage. Ah, but, you know, geez. there's many different... We've um, really screwed up know, the environment, haven't we? Like in this respect, oh, too. It is. Even um, barbed wire fences. 
Unfortunately, it keeps your cattle in, but birds do not see that as a potential hazard. And so they end up flying through it and and getting caught up in it. And then, um, you know, whether they get found or not is, is whether, you know, people are in that area. So it's, there's many different, you know, aspects Mm -hmm. of, of us humans creating, you know, these, these structures and these things to contain other things. And it just, animals don't understand yeah the ranchers were right that they, they were mad at the gall darn dirt scratchers that came along and started putting up fences mm-hmm. yeah they're just they're like no we just need wide open range is what we need and, and that was best for nature yeah. too as it turned out yeah 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 putting up you know structures and walls you yeah. know that causes these animals are, are heading in that migration and they have been doing it for for you know years and years and it Mm -hmm. could be even long that they've been you know that's just their their natural path that they need to go Mm -hmm. and you know we we put a barricade or we change the we now make a road that direction and now the traffic is going uh you know faster and larger and Mm -hmm. it just these animals are not uh understanding what these big machines are doing and Mm -hmm. and how come they were nesting here last year and now there's a big shopping building there you know so things just change and they don't understand what happened when they left for their migration and they come back this pond is now gone yeah and and it's funny how I remember seeing some documentary a long time ago where they say a road through that's where there's never been a road before can affect animals for I think it was like a total of forty miles, twenty miles either oh. side or forty miles either side of that road, just their natural lives and how they move around, and oh, and now there's sure. a <laughs> now there's this danger zone they don't yeah they don't have any idea what it's all about. No, exactly. So everything will have lasting. Um, effects and so I think sometimes we just don't even know what it is until it's too late and and it's hard to change um, sometimes people's perspective or you know they want the dollar and they wanted to do mm-hmm. certain things and it's, it's really difficult to change once once things have progressed and and you know it you know it, it's just it's hard it's it, there's government you know changes that you know people will try and everything takes time everything takes years <laughs> and know. it's just everything we could yeah, do it we could do it tomorrow to, but yeah, yeah. no yeah. It, yeah yeah we have to give people time yeah correct to make more money yeah. and to get richer yeah yeah it kind of makes it funny if people put their names on these the top of these uh tall skyscrapers as a point of pride whereas it's probably just uh it's like look look we're hurting all the birds this is my name yeah Take note. Yeah, but, it, <laughs> but you know, um, there are, you know, businesses that take that into account. They, they make sure that their windows have reflection that the birds can see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we want to encourage businesses to think about that when they're building new structures is, you know, what do we think might potentially could be impacted by it? Yeah. If we put a lot of windows on there, can we reduce any collisions by, you know, adding certain um, reflections or, or certain things to those windows to prevent them from flying, you know, and, mm-hmm. and injuring themselves? So yeah, because it can where... look like just an extension of of the outside from in a lot yes. of cases. Yeah, and they exactly. just think they're flying so somewhere. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, people are and businesses do want to, um, 
make the the least amount of impact on the environment and and you know now that they're learning more we can see certain companies and businesses are are making that effort and there are businesses who will give donations to nonprofits and charities and the environment and you know hopefully give back that we can continue you know making a difference and and um you know hopefully eliminating some of these injuries that we constantly see Mm -hmm. you know so it's 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 hard and you know everybody has to do what they need to do but you know some are are do take that understanding and they're trying to reduce you know having no lights on in their buildings at night so that the birds don't think that they can fly into that structure and you know there's lots of little things Mm -hmm. that they're doing to help the environment well that's good that's so good to hear Hey, um, so in the case of, of like our, our little rabbit guy from the city, if, if he was to make it and be okay, would you release him back to the same place where his, like his little territory is, or do you tend to put them elsewhere? No, we try to actually take them back to their, their territory. Um, so they know their area quite well. And that's why it, it hurts our hearts when people are trapping animals mm-hmm. and relocating them somewhere else. Some animals can handle trapping and relocation, but most wildlife do not. Okay. And so trapping those squirrels and trapping the raccoons and, you know, these other animals, they don't do well in relocation and most times can just die in the new location because they they're not familiar with what predators are there they're not familiar with what dangers you know cars and streets Uh. and all this other stuff so it's really important that we can either get them back to where they originally came from Mm -hmm. or if we receive baby animals we don't want all the baby animals to go back to that particular spot because Mm -hmm. naturally they would all venture away from it so then we try to find other appropriate locations that just sort of spread the animals into other areas okay. so that, one, we don't have so much conflict amongst humans mm-hmm. and the wild animals. And two, you know, even populating into another area that we think looks suitable for, you know, squirrels or mm-hmm. uh, woodchucks or whatever it might be. So. Okay. We we tend to relocate in different spots for the baby animals, but the adult animals we tend to want them to go back to their their territories. Okay, so uh, why can I get an update? Do you know how our little guy's doing? I don't know. I actually (laughs) we've been busy with other things, but I will look that up for you and and definitely get back to you on what's going on with them. Um, We did have a rabbit come in. I'm trying to remember. Uh, what day? So I just need to check to see if that one is your rabbit or if mm-hmm. it's a different rabbit. So, <laughs> rabbit. Um, <laughs> so, so cute. yeah, they're, they're, yeah. We, we do get in quite a few. Yeah. So I just have to clarify with our, our hospital staff um, what's, who's the, what's the admitting information. So when the animals are dropped off at our drop-off locations, that's what's really important is they have our admission forms there Mm -hmm. and that's where they will take down the person's name and phone number so that when you do want to find out how did your particular animal do, we will have that information follows that animal through the rehabilitation. So we can then say, yes, this one here, we know that that one is your particular 
Robin. Uh, this mm-hmm. one here we know is your particular, you know, so mm-hmm. it follows them through the rehabilitation um, yeah. setting. So we know what's gone on and what happened. Um, if they pass away, all that is written down mm-hmm. on their files so we can say, okay, you know, it, it did have these injuries and unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't make it. And right. so we can give them all that information. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it takes a lot of, I guess it keeps people grow attached, so it's a natural thing to, uh, it's so nice that you can find out and that they don't just disappear. They don't just disappear yes, from your the, life. But the, the unfortunate thing and, and what people don't understand is we're back to old school, so everything's mm-hmm. on paper. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't have a computer system that we can easily like type it up. We have to you know things move by paper so that makes things even more difficult because we have to go through all the papers to see what which animal is which and what's going on and so everything just takes us even longer to (laughs) deal with you know it's too bad there wasn't some billionaire that lived in manitoba who could lend you a computer yeah (laughs) god that would be such a cool donation wouldn't it (laughs) yeah it's well it's not even just the computer it's the whole system to to you know, oh, input yeah. it from the vet clinics to so yeah. that we have access to it. It's well, they kind of, okay. Le- we're going to leave the uh, billionaires <laughs> out of this. They could not afford that. They'd have no idea how to do something like that. Yeah, so. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's so, but yeah, we're we're old school. That everything is <laughs> it takes time because we have to send our paperwork to another volunteer who mm-hmm. then enters it into a computer. Yeah. Who then you know, it, so everything takes you know a few more steps to to get to you know, getting the information, but we try to do as quickly as we possibly can. Yeah. No, that, that's really appreciated. I'm sure a lot of people uh, find solace in that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, they want to, you, you do become attached when you do the rescue. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, you're emotionally invested in that animal. So they do want to know what happened to it, what's going on. And we, you know, try to incorporate the finders in the release. And so if it's going back to their backyard, then, you know, we would rather them mm-hmm. having the um, the benefit of releasing this animal back into oh, the wild. So Even though we have done it, you know, thousands of times, yeah. you know, I think someone who's never done it will enjoy it more than us who we've done it quite often. Absolutely. And I know exactly yeah. what you mean, because I, you know, if he's okay, then we'd love to be the ones to open yep. up the box and let him hop, exactly. hop around. And, exactly. Even though we've done yeah. hundreds of, of rabbits before, um, to you, this will be, you know, potentially your first release of a rabbit and your first releases mm-hmm. are what's usually the most impactful and, and most memorable. And the volunteers and you guys must love seeing that too. Every time you see that, yeah. it must be new and fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, I'm going to release you back to your natural habitat, okay. which is full of stress <laughs> and craziness and underfunding. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put up some notes on the uh, podcast then and say, make some suggestions of, of how we can get you some more money. For sure. Yeah. That would be awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, Lisa. This has been, uh, yeah, you've answered so many of the questions that just come to mind when Good. you find a, a group like yours. <laughs> For sure. Um, thank you. I, I know we would usually have lots to say, so I, I didn't think this was hard to fill up. <laughs> <I> thought, <laughs> no, no, no. There's there's lots of different um, questions that people will have, and it's it's the same question, and it's yeah, you know, giving that information out so people will know. Oh, I listened. Mm-hmm. I heard this on a podcast. Now yeah. I know how to look it up. So exactly, yeah, it's definitely beneficial. They can. We didn't, so they can go down their own rabbit holes. 
exactly. Okay, so now you know. Now I know. And you know too. There's no excuses. We have to we have to be better. We have to be better humans. We have to be better partners with nature. We have to start fitting back into nature again instead of just running over it because that those days are done. They're just old, finished, no more. It's the new us. We're turning over a new leaf worldwide. All humans are going to just get over it and move forward as one thing. <laughs> yeah, right, you say? Yeah, probably, probably right. But um, yeah, we have to get the billionaires acclimatized to not being, you know, not wrecking the earth on our behalf. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, again, Manitoba is the word. Spread the word far and wide. Search the word. Be the word. Live it. Love it. It's just a word. Manitobaville. Okay, this is Mahangel. Thank you for listening. There's more good interviews coming up, so stay tuned. Keep your podcatcher active. Check it once in a while, and you'll see new, new episodes popping up all over the place. Okay, so thank you for listening to the Manitobaville podcast. We are copyright 2022, Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.